Each milk sample that we looked at was full of a rich and diverse bacteria. And we now really believe that that milk, what we call microbiome, or the, the microbes in milk, the bacteria in milk, are really setting up the baby's intestinal tract to have a healthy microbiome, which we now think is incredibly important for health, for long-term health and short-term health. Meet Shelley McGuire, a professor in the Margaret Ritchie School of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Idaho. Breast milk contains all the nutrients, fats, proteins, and other components a baby needs to grow. But it turns out we know very little about breast milk. Shelley has been studying human and even cow breast milk for her entire career and has studied everything from the microbes living in the milk to whether the virus that causes COVID-19 can be transferred from mother to child. Welcome everyone to The Vandal Theory. Hi everyone, my name is Lee Cooper and I'm a science writer here at U of I and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research at the University of Idaho. Throughout the third season of the podcast, which we're recording and producing remotely, we're going to talk to U of I researchers about questions they want to answer, problems they want to solve, and what gets them excited about their research. Shelley and I discussed the exponential growth in our understanding of breast milk in recent decades. Well, Shelley, thank you so much for calling into the podcast. Um, can you introduce yourself to everybody? Absolutely, and thanks so much for having me. I am uh, Shelley McGuire, and I'm a professor of maternal and infant nutrition and the director of the Margaret Ritchie School of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Idaho. And I study human milk and maternal and infant nutrition. Human milk. Uh, I mean, that seems like obviously a very important part of human life and human existence. So is that a, a really well-studied aspect of, of human biology or not? Well, I tell you, I'm really glad you asked me that. You would think that human milk would be the most studied food, considering the fact that it's the only food designed by Mother Nature to be consumed by humans. You would think we would know everything about it. But to tell you the truth, we are just scratching the surface on what we know about what is in milk, what impacts the variation in milk composition and how that variation impacts infant health. It's a really understudied food, to tell you the truth. We know more about what's in a banana than, what, than what's in human milk. That's incredible. Why hasn't this been more studied? I mean, especially considering it's, it's so important as a, as a food source. Yeah, you know, I wish I knew the the, the total answer to that, but it, breastfeeding is a very interesting topic. For example, there's no medical no medical specialty that is focused on the mammary glands or breastfeeding and incredible organs, right? There's a medical specialty for every other organ in the body, but not the breasts, not the mammary gland that are, you know, designed to feed babies. I don't know why we don't know more about it, aside from that it's a classic women's issue and women's issues tend to be understudied. I've never thought about that as it being a, an organ that would have its own specialist. I don't know why I've never thought of that. Um, even feet, you know, even your feet have have a specialty. People are specialists in kidneys and hearts and everything else, but not the mammary gland. Well, I always enjoy a day where my mind is absolutely blown. So uh, thank you. <laughs> so milk, it seems like such a simple thing. 
But obviously there's a lot in it if it keeps a baby alive and, and provides them full nutrition. So it's got to be just cram jam full of different nutrients and proteins, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, human milk is the, the most complex food you'll ever find. It has fats in it, proteins, carbohydrates. It even ha- it has a set of carbohydrates that that babies can't even digest, and we think that they're there for other purposes, like feeding the bacteria in the baby's gastrointestinal tract. It's like baby fiber in human milk. It's pretty amazing. Plus, of course, all the vitamins and all the minerals and there are immune cells and there are bacteria. We used to think milk was sterile, but now we know it has bacteria. And there are enzymes. I mean, it's just, it is the most complex food that we know of. Well, we're definitely going to get back to that sterilized bit. I know we want to talk about that. But just, I mean, you've hit on a lot of it, the fact that this is an understudied area. But why is this something that we should, you know, really be pushing to be a science that an expanding area of science. Yeah. In my opinion, it's the most important area that we could study in human nutrition. And we tend to focus on, you know, understanding what adult nutrition should look like. You know, how much protein should you eat? Should you be on a a paleo diet? You know, what, what should you be eating to decrease your risk for cardiovascular disease? All that sort of stuff. But really, we now know that the determinants of long-term health actually begin in the first we call thousand days of life. So when a baby is still in its mama, and then the first two years after it's born, we're pretty sure that that's where cancers are set up, or that's where your risk for, let's say, cardiovascular disease is set up. And we think that that's largely nutritionally based. And so understanding what's in human milk not only will help us to understand how to feed babies, but it will help us learn how to live longer, healthier lives. Dang, that's an, I mean, that's incredible if we're able to, you know, make that have such long-term outcomes. So going back to the sterilized bit, like you said, scientists thought that milk was sterile and you guys found out not so much. How did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, you know, all the good things in science happen by accident. I hate to say that, but um, a few years ago, we were actually studying uh, lipids or fats in human milk, and we were taking milk samples from healthy moms living on the Palouse. And uh, we were looking at those milk samples under a microscope, and we were actually looking at the immune cells, but we could see bacteria in the milk as well. And interestingly, we sent the milk samples to the WCU mastitis lab. So cows and humans get this disease called mastitis where their their mammary glands are inflamed and it's a really bad situation. And anyway, the lab at WCU analyzed those milk samples for bacteria because we were interested in whether um, these moms had inflammation and mastitis, this particular uh, situation anyway. They came back and they said, all of your milk samples are sterile. And we said, no, they're not. We can see bacteria under the microscope. And so that led us down this amazing path to actually look at the bacteria in milk using very, very high-tech methods that were being used at the time to look at bacteria in every other human fluid and tissue. But nobody had really looked in milk. And lo and behold... Each milk sample that we looked at was full of a rich and diverse bacteria. And we now really believe that that milk 
what we call microbiome or the, the microbes in milk, the bacteria in milk, are really setting up the baby's intestinal tract to have a healthy microbiome, which we now think is incredibly important for health, for long-term health and short-term health. So we learned about it by accident, but we actually really that spurred a whole new field of research in infant nutrition because it, it was a paradigm shift in science. We thought milk was sterile, then we learned it wasn't, and we had to go back and look at everything again with that new knowledge. So the idea is you think that the mom actually is is providing the, the microbiome to the child so that they're able to, uh, you know, digest and do all the things that a healthy, healthy gut is supposed to do. Um, where does the, is the microbiome from the mom coming from the mammary glands or, or from the gut itself? Do you know? Well, you know, we don't know the answer to that yet, but I will say that we, we think that they're actually coming from a variety of places. We think that they're, they're actually being uh, transported from the mom's intestinal tract to her breasts specifically to show the baby, um, to, well, to help the baby get colonized with good bacteria, also to show the baby which bacteria are, like, these are normal, you should learn to tolerate these. And so we think it's a way that the mom is actually educating the baby in a very, very safe way as to what bacteria might be bad and what bacteria might be good. We also think that those bacteria are getting into the breasts via the baby's mouth because this sounds like science fiction, but it, it turns out that every time a baby nurses, Whatever is in the baby's mouth actually goes into the breast, which is also new information. So we think that it's a way that the baby can come into contact with his or her environment. You know, they're always putting things in their mouths. Sure. And then, and then the baby interacts with the mom and shows the mom what's it, what it's come in contact with. And then the mom can help either, again, tell the baby to tolerate that or to maybe help the baby fight that off. So it's pretty complex, but it's an amazing system, really. The mom and the baby are working together to optimize infant health. So basically an infant version of toddler goes and picks things up and brings them back to mom and is like, is this cool? And the no, 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 put that down. Or the yes, that's that's great. That's yeah. that's, that's fine to play with. <laughs> yeah, that's, exa that's exactly what we think is happening, actually. That's amazing. And I know you've done some, you know, follow-up studies on this, and you said that it's also, th this varies much around the world as well, like what the microbiome is? Yep, yep. We, we were lucky enough a few years ago, we worked with colleagues around the world and with some of our fantastic colleagues at, at WCU, and we were able to collect milk in, in the, on the Palouse, in San Diego, Peru, Ghana, the Gambia, Kenya, Ethiopia, Spain, and Sweden. So we were able to collect milk samples all around the world, bring them back to our lab here at the University of Idaho, analyze them. And yes, we, we ended up with over 400 milk samples. And we found that, in fact, sometimes the microbiomes look really similar uh, between countries, but sometimes they look very, very different. And we think that that has implications for infant health. There's a lot there's a lot of work still to do, but we think that it's related to differences in diet, differences in environmental exposures, 
um, differences in things like antibiotic use, et cetera. So we're, again, we're just scratching the surface on this whole topic. So not to jump to another topic, but uh, to jump to another topic. Um, <laughs> I know you are also, like you said, you're working on mastitis in not just humans, but cows. I mean, I know it, it's a very painful disease, but why, why is it so important to understand this, not just in humans, but in cows as well? Yeah, good question. And at this point, I do want to give a shout out to my husband and favorite collaborator, Mark McGuire, who's a, a professor, actually distinguished professor at the University of Idaho in animal vet and food science. Excellent. Um, well done. Yeah. So he's, he studies, what's fun is he studies dairy cows. I study breastfeeding women. Actually, we both study both. And so we're interested in the milk microbiome in, in both cows and women. In cows, mastitis is actually an incredibly expensive disease because if a cow gets mastitis, you have to dump her milk, you have to give her antibiotics, et cetera. So it, it's an incredible economic issue with the dairy industry. In humans, it's one of the top reasons why women stop breastfeeding. It is so painful. And we really know very little about what causes mastitis in both cows and women, except that cows and women with mastitis do seem to have a bacterial infections or even fungal infections in their mammary glands. So we're really interested in whether variations in these microbes and what microbes are there can either protect a cow or a woman from mastitis or maybe set her up for increased risk. And so we're actually in the middle of a big uh, National Institutes of Health U.S. Department of Agriculture study to try to figure that out in both cows and women. And we're doing that beautifully right here in Idaho and on the Palouse. The last study that I want to talk to you about is, is a new one for you, I know, due to the fact that we are now in a time of COVID-19. Um, and you're looking at whether COVID-19 can be passed through breast milk. Why was this a question that you guys jumped on? Is this something that actually has happened before with other diseases? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, like everybody else, when COVID hit, you know, we were trying to figure out what we could do to help. And we knew that and, and from past experience that other viruses could be transmitted from mother to baby via breastfeeding. It's a sad thing, but it can happen. For example, HIV can be passed from mom to baby. Tuberculosis can be passed from mom to baby. A lot of other viruses and bacteria are not. And so when, when COVID hit, the obvious question to a lactation scientist is, can that uh, virus be transmitted via breastfeeding. And so we jumped on it. Our group here at the University of Idaho really pivoted and focused very, very early on in March and then really hard in April, May until now to, to try to figure this out. And luckily, we've gotten funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the National Science Foundation to do this. And you actually turned to social media. Uh, oh, to do this, and yeah. since um, you know, one-on-one -on -one contact is so obviously difficult these days. Yeah. So imagine, imagine doing this study. We're in Moscow, Idaho, at the University of Idaho. Uh, we have stay-home orders. The university is closed, and we really, luckily, had very, very low rates of uh, COVID-19 in the area. So in order to do our study, yeah, we hit social media. We did national uh, recruiting campaigns using Facebook ads, and women contacted us when they saw the Facebook ads. We recruited them from our home offices and uh, worked with them over the phone. We sent them milk 
collection kits, FedExed them to their homes overnight, and then walked them through how to collect a milk sample and all the other samples we needed over the phone. And then they were able to ship the milk back to us. And we've analyzed it here and with colleagues at, again, Washington State University in Rochester. And we're also working with colleagues at, at Harvard, Tulane University, uh, and the University of Washington. So it's become a real team science effort and one that we're really, really pleased about. Um, it, it, it's nice to be able to make a difference in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I know this study is still ongoing um, and there's still a lot of work to be done, but are there any indications of which way this is going? Yeah, so from our data, we've analyzed milk from 18 women. We've collected milk from over 40 women now. And in the milk samples that we've collected, we do not find evidence of the virus in milk in any of the milk samples. We do find evidence of virus on the breast, which is interesting. And we find evidence of antibodies or protective factors in the milk. But I will say that other very good labs are coming up with some evidence that the virus might be transmitted in milk. So I would say that, you know, the bottom line is still out on this one. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to, to mention about this? About this study? Yeah, about this study. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, doing a study in the middle of a pandemic is like assembling a jumbo jet while you're trying to fly it. I've never experienced anything like this. Um, we, you know, we sort of did things backwards. We started collecting samples before we knew how we were going to analyze them. We uh, asked for permission to collect samples before we had funding to collect them. And I will say that the University of Idaho was incredibly supportive when we were trying to do things at a really, really rapid pace. The grants office and the ethics office worked with us really round the clock to make that research happen. And, and I really appreciate being at the University of Idaho and having that sort of support. Well, that sounds good. Shelly, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for helping us get the science out to people that really want to understand it. If you found the intricacies of Shelley's research on breast milk interesting, I think you'll enjoy learning about a few other U of I research projects. University of Idaho researchers are leading a nearly $6 million National Science Foundation cooperative agreement to use large and complex data sets to improve prediction and response measures for tick-borne diseases. U of I virologist Paul Rowley is using mammalian cell cultures and a viral agent similar to the virus that causes COVID-19 to test whether the virus can spread by using farm animals or North American bats as intermediate hosts. Professor Lisette Waits and former doctoral student Robert Lonsinger found that an increase in exotic and intrusive plants across the high desert region of the Great Basin increased coyote populations and decreased rabbit populations. Over several decades, this population shift led to a tenfold decline of kit foxes, which is a species of concern. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Vandal Theory. You can visit our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory to get more information about Shelley's research, read our show notes, and email me with comments. We'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And please rate and review us, too. We've loved hearing from our listeners, and we really appreciate your support. I'm Lee Cooper, and thanks for joining me.